Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. The subject this morning is the goodness of God in redemption. The goodness of God in redemption. We've just sung the song, Brethren, We Have Met to Worship. And our song leader has brought our attention to the cross. We do ask you, as your speaker and pastor today, that if you're a Christian, you pray as we preach, because it's only as we are held up before the throne of God in prayer that we are enabled to exalt the Lord. We can't do it in our own natural gifts of oratory. We can't do that. And our purpose is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in our preaching. And it's a great thing when the speaker is, has the liberty of the Holy Spirit and the congregation has also the same liberty. Many times these two don't come together. Sometimes the preacher has an unction from the Lord and the congregation doesn't. Their minds are elsewhere. And sometimes the congregation does and the preacher doesn't. And then it doesn't lead for an exaltation of the Spirit of God in the services. So you pray as we preach today. And if you don't uh, think we preached well enough, then come back next Sunday praying more for us, all right? So that we may be able to exalt the Lord in the preaching of his word. In the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 6, speaking on the subject, the goodness of God in redemption, this will be the 39th message in our series through the whole Bible on all of the doctrines of God's word. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The goodness of God in redemption or the salvation of fallen sinners. Now we've seen in the last sermons on this message, on this subject, how good God was in creating us. He didn't have to create us. God was perfectly happy and content within his very being. He didn't have to have the world and all the elements, and he didn't have to have man to complete his happiness. There was nothing lacking in God uh, before that he created the world. But yet out of an act of pure goodness, he created us and gave us an existence, and how grateful we should be to the existence that we owe from God. We also saw how good God is in governing his creation or what is known as providence, and how that he leads and directs and guides so that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose in Christ. Now today we want to see the ultimate of the goodness of God, and that being in the redemption of fallen sinners or fallen man. Yes, God is exalted in creation. God is exalted in his goodness in how in his wise uh, purposes he governs his creation. But when we come to the matter of how a sinner is saved, 
then we see the goodness of God exalted as never before in contrast to these other two areas. We see the goodness of God in redemption exceeds that in creation. God took a speck of dust and out of that dirt he formed man. That is, out of the elements which he had created, he then formed mankind and we owe our existence to God as he used the elements of the creation. Natural science even bears this out. It bears out how that man contains certain elements in his body that are found in the creation. When man dies, the elements in those bodies goes back to the dust of the ground and are dissolved and uh, swallowed up in those very elements. So God was exalted when he created man out of the dust of the ground. But, beloved, how much more so is the goodness of God set forth when now he takes a fallen man and restores him into the image, not of the first Adam, but the second Adam, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a greater standing does a fallen sinner have in exalting the goodness of God in being in Christ Jesus than when he came forth even at the hands of his creator from the dust of the ground. So we see the goodness of God far exceeds itself in the redemption of a sinner than in the creation of man to begin with. We see how that God had but to speak and man came into existence. There was nothing there to stand in the way to hinder God, if we might use that term guardedly, from the dust of the ground obeying him and becoming man. But it is not so when we come to the salvation of a sinner, because God has, if we could use again the term guardedly, something that is in opposition to him forming that sinner in Christ Jesus. And you know what that is? That's the sinner's depraved will. He doesn't want to be like Christ. There was no opposition when God spoke. And Adam was formed. But there is opposition when God speaks to the sinner and through the gospel and says, Come unto me, because the rebellious will of the sinner says, No, 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 I will not come. So we see the goodness of it. God is exalted even more in working in that person the willingness to come to Jesus Christ. Then secondly, we see the goodness of God in this text of Scripture, in redemption, in light of man's fallen state. We read, for when we were yet without strength in due time, or at God's time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, that is, it might be that someone would die for a righteous man. And it is also possible that someone would die for a good man. But, he says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were neither righteous nor good, but sinners, rebels against his throne, he sent his Son to die for us. So we see the goodness of, of God's 
goodness in redemption is exalted in light of man's fallen state. How many of you, you fathers here today, how many of you would sacrifice your son for someone like Richard Speck who killed the seven or eight nurses here several years ago? How many of you would sacrifice your son for someone such as that? How many of you would sacrifice your son for another good person, maybe that deserved to be spared? Let's suppose that there were two people that were going under the quicksand, and one of them was your son and one was another, and that person was a real good person. To whom would you reach out to spare if you only had time to spare one? Probably would it not be your own son, even though that other person be a good person? What if that other person be a righteous person, has never committed a single fault against their fellow man, and if they die, they will be a tremendous loss to the community in which they live? To whom would you reach out and spare, your son or that person? Well, you answer that question and then you put it in this light. If there was a Richard Speck there, or a Hitler that was dying and going under, and there was your son which was going under, to whom would you reach out and spare? Now, my friends, set that in contrast to what Paul is saying here. When we were yet without strength in God's own appointed time, Christ died for the who? For the lovely? For the good, for the righteous, for the moral, for the outstanding person? No, he died for the ungodly. That person who had nothing to claim before God. That person to whom God could have let go right on their way to destruction the same way he did with the fallen angels. He could have let them go right on. They wanted their will. He gave it to them. And man, when we were running against, away from God, when we were saying to God, leave us alone, I want to be God, I want to run my life the way I want it, I don't want you around, or if you are around, I don't want you on the throne of my life. It was while we were, had that attitude toward God Christ died for us. Now, I say that magnifies the goodness of God because God didn't have to be good to us. He didn't have to come down and say, well, Jim Gables, I owe it to you when you have no love toward me. But it was when I was in sin and rebelling against him God took the initiative toward me in Christ Jesus. Oh, how that exalts God's goodness. How many of you find it far easier to be good to those of your friends than to your enemies? Do we not? And yet it was God, when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. So we see the goodness of God exalted in contrast 
to what he was good to, that is, fallen sinners, not innocent people, not people who just didn't know any better, but he was good to a race that was set on taking the throne away from God and putting it upon their head, taking the crown off of King Jesus and putting it upon man. That's whom God was good to. And, beloved, that is an humbling thing when we see that God could have said, all right, if that's what you want, I'll let you go right on your way and you'll receive all that's coming to you at the hand of my justice. But no, he said in that state, when we were not seeking him, he came and took the initiative toward us and sent Jesus Christ to die at his appointed time for our sins. We see, thirdly, the goodness of God in redemption is seen in whom he gave to redeem man. Notice the text, in due time Christ died. Who was it that God gave to redeem fallen sinners? Well, he didn't use the angels. He could have sent Gabriel or Michael or one of the archangels, but he didn't. He could have taken their life. He could have created a thousand worlds made out of pure gold and paid that for the price of our redemption, but he didn't. Do you know wanted to know what it cost God to redeem the souls of sinners? It cost his own precious son dying at the ignominious death on the cross of Calvary. Beloved, God used, if we might could say the term in human, in human words, it cost God everything he had to redeem you and I as fallen sinners. Yes, he did not just, we are not redeemed with silver and gold or with corruptible things, says Peter, but with the precious blood of his only son. What, again, back to the illustration, you know what your offspring mean to you and how precious they are. What would it take for you to part with one of those in order to gain something else? Would you give up one of your children in order to do a wicked man a favor? God gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was the precious Son of God which nestled in the bosom of the Godhead that left heaven and all of its glory and came to earth to suffer humiliation. We read about it in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's what Christ held as his position. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The likeness of men. Can you get the depth of that, my hearer? You say, well, what's so humiliating or humbling about Jesus becoming a man? 
Suppose you that are a member of the human race today, that God came to you and he spoke and turned you into a frog hopping around out here in the weeds somewhere. And you had once known what it was like to be exalted as a man, to think as a man, a rational creature. Would not that be an humbling experience for you to be taken from that of a rational creature and be made that of a dumb beast? God did that to a man in the Bible named Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know that? Nebuchadnezzar said, Who is God that I should obey him? And God says, All right, you're going to become like the beast of the field, and you're going to eat grass for seven years. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar's fingers grew out like birds. He had claws like a bird. And at the end of seven years, God restored his sanity to him, and Nebuchadnezzar bowed before that God, and he says, Now I know there's a God in the heavens. Beloved, it'd be an humbling thing if God took you and I and made us a beast. And when we realize the distance between us and that of that humble frog, then try to get the picture of the incarnate God, the eternal God, coming down and taking the form of a man. And he made himself of no reputation, took him on in the form of a servant, not just a king of a man, but he took the form of a servant of a man. And made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. But what kind of death? Even the death of the cross. What did it take to redeem sinners? It took the precious blood of Jesus Christ humiliated upon the cross of Calvary. The most horrible scene that we can depict about. A man being stripped naked, humiliated, spat upon, and having his very life flowing from his body. But not just another man like the two thieves there. This was the eternal God become man in the flesh. And so we see the goodness of God in redemption is seen in whom God gave his only self, his only son so that we cannot redeem with corruptible things millions of dollars worth of gold and silver. No, it costs God, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. Then the goodness of God in redemption is seen in the fact. Now, bear with me on this. We're going to spend the remainder of the message on this thought. That there was no goodness in man to merit God's favor or doing this. The song asks the question, I wonder what I could have done to have deserved God's only Son. The depth of that question has never been solved, but I want to try to deal with a little bit of it here very briefly. What influenced God to give his Son to redeem sinners? What was there in man that attracted God's attention that he said, I'm going to separate the second person of the Godhead, and he's going to go and become their substitute. What was there in man? Now listen carefully. If you're a Christian here today, you'll rejoice in this. If you've never bowed to sovereign grace, you'll kick against what I'm about to say. 
Beloved, on the basis of the scriptures, there was nothing in man that merited God giving his son for us. And until we take that position and bow humbly, prostrate before God, we'll never appreciate and see the beauty that's in the glory of God in the gospel. There was nothing in man that moved God to create him to begin with. And there was nothing in man that moved God to restore him in salvation. Then why did God do it? He did it, hear me, out of his own goodness, out of his own goodness to do so. Now, I want to show this in the Bible, and I hope you have your Bibles there with you. Let's go back to the book of Romans, chapter 3, and verse 24. Now, some may say, and it is a, it is a legitimate uh, question at the first, as you begin to think on this, as some religions teach this. Here's what they set forth. Well, Pastor Gables, I believe it was this way. I believe God looked down and he saw that this person would do this such and such act of obedience. And that really pleased God. So God said, I'm going to then send my son to die and reward that person with eternal life. No, no, my friend. The grace of God is done away with when you have God rewarding that person with something for what that person has done. Salvation is not by human merit or desert. It is out of the sheer good pleasure of God in giving his Son on behalf of sinners. But another one will say, well, Pastor Gables, I don't believe it was for any good works, which I did, that influenced God to send his Son to die for me. But I do believe it was for my faith. That God looked out from eternity and he saw Jim Gables down here and he said, well, now I see that Jim Gables will believe. Therefore, I'll send my son, the Lord Jesus, and he'll die on the cross in order to reward Jim Gables for his believing. Now, is that biblical? Is that the, is that the truth of the scriptures? Listen, as Paul says again. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Have we got the gist of that in Romans 3, 11, 10 and 11? They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. Now listen, this condemns our human pride. But may it do so, if Jesus be exalted, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, that's not my words. That's from the book. That's from the book. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Isaiah tells us that our own righteousness, our good deeds are as filthy rags in the sight of God. So if we read in the psalmist, he says that God beheld the inhabitants of men. And he says, there is none that's seeking after me. No, not one. So God did not look down from eternity and see a group of people who were seeking after him. They were all running away from him. So it was not our obedience, it was not our faith which moved God to give his son to die for us. Then what on earth was it? In Romans chapter 3, in verse 23, now notice carefully. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24. Being justified freely 
by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I want us to take that little turn there and we're going to examine it. I hope you have your Bibles. We're going to look at it here. Notice, being justified freely by his grace. Freely means without conditions. Freely means that if I want to give this man five dollars and it becomes a gift, I'm going to give it to him apart from conditions on his part. But the moment I make a condition on his part, it ceases to be a free gift and it becomes something that he must merit or he must do in order to receive my gift. Now notice, being justified freely, that is, what does that word mean? Well, we're not left up again to just a preacher's interpretation of this. You hold your finger there in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, and let's go back to the book of John chapter 15 and verse 25, and we'll compare this word as it's used here. And then perhaps it will give us some insight as to what it means to be justified freely by God. St. John chapter 15, verse 25, speaking of Jesus himself. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me, now listen, without a cause. The three words that are translated in our English language without a cause there is translated one word in Romans 3.24 as freely. The Greek word that Jesus spoke there, they hated me. And then there's one word without a cause is the same word that's used here by Paul in Romans 3.24. Now, let's, let's insert that then in Romans 3.24. Being justified without a cause in us by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question, dear friend. Those of you that have read your Bibles and you know something about the life of Christ, what was there in Jesus Christ that he did to deserve or being caused to be put upon the cross? Did he kill someone? Did he take someone's life? Did he rob somebody of their possessions? Which one of the Ten Commandments did Jesus Christ break that man so hated him that they put him on a cross? Now, he says it's written... They have hated me, now get it, without a cause. He was without sin. There was no cause in Christ Jesus for him to merit being put to death on the cross. There was all goodness in him. There was nothing evil, nothing which was wrong and sinful in Christ that he could be judged by God's law or man's law and say, for this cause, I put you to death. They hated me freely just because they wanted to do it without a cause. Now turn this over. What was there in us that we deserved to be saved by God? There was no goodness in us. 
In fact, there was nothing but evil. There was nothing but a rebellion against God's right to be God in our lives. God did not look down and see some little spark of goodness in Jim Gables and say, well, for that cause, I will justify him. No, just as Jesus Christ was put on the cross without a cause in him to merit that, so God reached down and without a cause in me to merit his grace, he said, I'm going to be good through Jesus Christ to that fallen sinner. So then what is there that I could have done? My friend, there is nothing that I did to merit my standing with God. I must exalt all things to the goodness of God. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't believe that man's all that bad. I believe that there's some good in man, isn't there? All right, let's let Jesus reply to that. There was a very moral young man came to him one day, a very religious man. And he came to him running. He said, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And the first thing Jesus said to him, wait a minute, you need to get something straightened out. There's none good but God. There's none good but God. None righteous, none seek out after God. Therefore, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, the cause of our salvation is not in you and I. It's to be found in the good pleasure and will of God in giving his Son for sinners. Now, what does that do to us? First of all, it's just like the school teacher that takes the tape and puts over the child's mouth and says, shut up. You don't have anything to say. And that's what God says here in Romans. The whole world may become guilty and have their mouths shut. You know, Brother Powell, when salvation is by grace, man can't, isn't allowed to do any boasting. And that's the way God would have it, because he says, I'll not share my glory with another. And oh, that makes us so mad, doesn't it? We want to be on the throne with God. And God says, you're not going to be there. I'm God. I'm the one that creates. I'm the one that governs. I'm the one that saves. Not you. And oh, that makes man mad, because man wants to be able to boast. And he wants to be able to say, all right, God, now I know your son died for me, <coughs> but I also know I did this much. And God says, no, any good deed which you have done, you've done so because I have worked grace in your life. Therefore, you can't boast of your good works and you can't even boast of your faith, for it's by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves that is the gift of God. Now, what is a gift? It is something that is given freely without a cause or a condition to be met in the receiver's part. So God reached down and he said, I'm going to be gracious to this and this and this. And when that person experienced that goodness and that grace, oh, my friend, they cannot but exalt the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. I read a, a book, and I guess I might as well use the name. I don't use it too often. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Alexander Campbell? You know who Alexander Campbell was, the founder of the Campbellite Church. 
And uh, in his book that he read, he made this statement. He said, one day in eternity, I will look back in time and I will see that old muddy water of that river that washed away my sin. If you want to hear that, you want to have that quote, I'll get it for you. My friend, there's nothing more that makes my back crawl than to have somebody say they're going to be in the eternity because of some old muddy water that washes away their sin. They have a right to be there because of some muddy water that washes away their sin. Oh, my friend, that's not salvation. That's human merit. That's human boasting. That's human pride still exalted. To where that he can say, I can walk up to God and God says, Alexander, what right do you have to enter into heaven? My God, I was baptized in that old muddy water back there, just like you said. Here's my ticket. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you, and you never knew me. No, you didn't. You never knew me, or else you wouldn't dare come before my holy throne claiming something on your part to merit entrance into the kingdom of heaven. I only allow one group of people to enter here. It's not the proud. It's not the boastful. It's the humble sinner who comes up and says, Lord, I'm not worthy to enter here. But if I have any right at all, may I enter through Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And all the Lord loves to let sinners in on that basis. Because you know what they have to do then? They have to bow down low and come through and say, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And oh, how that delights God. And when sinners take that place, oh, how it delights their hearts. How it thrills my heart to be able to have God reveal in me that I'm a creature. I'm not deserving of his goodness. He's the creator, and yet God speaks, and goodness is formed in my heart to receive Jesus Christ. This isn't popular with this day and age, people. It isn't popular. But my friend, if it exalts Christ, and it causes me to be put upon a cross and will continue to exalt Christ if it exalts him. Shall we stand today?